So the scripture passage for today from the fifth chapter of Matthew is often referred to as the Beatitudes. And the word Beatitude has um, come to be this kind of fancy church word, but here's what it means. It's from the Latin word for blessed. So when you hear the Beatitudes taught, what you're hearing is the blessings. You're hearing the blessings taught. And over and over in chapter 5, in those first 12 verses, you're going to hear Jesus say, blessed, blessed, blessed. Now, Jesus probably taught in Aramaic, and then Matthew wrote in Greek. So there are other ways to translate that word blessed that is used repeatedly in the Beatitudes. It can be translated as happy. It can be translated as fortunate or privileged or enviable or satisfied or even okay. I like the word okay for the Beatitudes. A beatitude has come to mean a statement that has a three-part formula. So in any beatitude that you hear, you're going to hear these three parts. You're going to hear the word blessed. And then you're going to hear the subject, who is blessed. And then after that, you're going to hear the condition of their blessing. You're going to hear why they are blessed. Jesus did not invent the beatitude, and neither did Matthew. You can find beatitudes in the Old Testament. You can find them in Jewish literature. You can even find them in pagan literature. So I have a few examples to give to you before we look at Matthew. Here are a few examples. The first one says this. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. So did you hear the word blessed? It's translated happy. Who's blessed? Who's happy? Those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. And what's the condition of their blessing? Well, they meditate on the law day and night, right? Okay, here's another one. This one's a little bit more simple. It's, it's from, uh, from the Apocrypha. So you're not going to find it in your Protestant Bible. Happy is the man who lives with a sensible wife. So, do you see the word blessed? It's translated as happy here. Who's blessed? Any man. What's the condition? He lives with a sensible wife. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, and then one last one. (laughs) One last one is this. It's from Isaiah. Blessed are all those who wait for the Lord. And I want you to hear the verses that precede this one. Here are the verses. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and he will show mercy to you. And then blessed are all those who wait on him. So you hear the word blessed. Who's blessed? You are. You are blessed. When are you blessed? When you wait on the Lord. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so the Beatitudes in Matthew. I want you to hear um, these Beatitudes. This is the first Part of the Sermon on the Mount, and what Matthew tells us is that Jesus goes to this unnamed mountain. So we know in our own memories, because we live years after Jesus in Matthew, that the temple sat on a mount. So Jesus has gone outside to this unnamed mount, and he sits, which is how a teacher would teach in the temple. So he sits down, and he teaches his followers these blessings. And as you hear them this morning, I want you to consider which one resonates with you. 
Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When I was waking up on Thursday morning of this week, I turned on the television. It was pretty early, so I got the local news. And they were showing some pictures on the local news of fraternal twins that I guess are currently in People magazine. And these pictures were beautiful. They were perfect. They were just right. These fraternal twins, they were about a year old, and their clothes were colorful and fashionable. They had matching socks, and all four shoes were on their feet. They had head-banded bows in just the right place on their tiny little heads. They were smiling. They were laughing. They were beautiful. Picture perfect. And Sarah Lucero, the, the newscaster, said at the end of the story, I'll tell you this much, that family is blessed. Okay, well, I've had one-year-old children, and um, in my family, my brother has twins, and my sister has twins. Who's blessed? (laughs) Let me tell you what I know about having one-year-olds. Having a one-year-old does not always look like a photo shoot. Having twins many times means double the chaos in the house. Sometimes having twin one-year-olds looks like sparsely decorated living rooms so that toddlers can toddle around and have space to fall. Sometimes having one-year-olds in the house looks like sinks full of dirty dishes and empty dirty bottles. Sometimes having one-year-olds in the house, if you took a picture, you'd just get a big old pile of dirty diapers. And sometimes having one-year-olds in the house looks like parents with really dark circles under their eyes, and they argue with one another. And you could get a picture of that, but People Magazine wouldn't take it. The images that would be, these images would be farthest from what we would call blessed And yet I can guarantee you, after studying the scripture passage this week, Jesus would look at those pictures and he would say, that family, those pictures, they are blessed. The very first blessing that Jesus speaks goes to those who are poor in spirit. We are poor in spirit when our gauge sits on empty. 
when we have no energy, when we are completely wiped out, maybe we are surprised by unexpected news, or we are sitting trying to absorb shocking unexpected news. The Hebrew word for uh, spirit also means breath. So anything that takes your breath away would mean that you are poor in spirit. It could be a slow week, slow leak, or a sudden emptying. Either one. The breath is gone. The energy has gone. You're poor in spirit. The opposite of poor in spirit uh, understood in the New Testament would be, I think, something. it would sound something like you're full of hot air. <laughs> you're full of hot air is the opposite of being for, poor in spirit. So when you're full of hot air, you are eager to show other people how much you know. You're eager to show other people how much you can do. You're multitasking. You're very busy. This is a very popular posture, I believe, for Americans. I love this posture, being full of hot air. But the truth, the truth of the matter is this. When we are poor in spirit, we are empty. And it is at that very point that we are also available. It is at that very point that we are free of clutter, that we um, are available for an inbreaking of the Holy Spirit, for a new revelation, for a reordering of our lives by God's great mercy. I would suggest to you that each of the groups of people that Jesus names at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount find themselves in a state that is roomy, that is available to be reordered. Those who mourn, those who grieve, they admit sorrow for things or for people who are lost, who are in the past. And then in that very act of mourning, we open ourselves up to God creating anew, to God making all things new. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are so focused on God's ways that they are not derailed by trials or temptations. And so when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you make space. You have spiritual space that is available. Those who seek peace, those who are peacemakers, They respect differing opinions. And in respecting differing opinions, you open yourself up to new revelation. You make space for God to speak new and to bring a new revelation. And yet, these descriptors are more than just a way of being. A friend of mine said to me this week about the Beatitudes. He said, you know, Dinah, here's what I think about the Beatitudes. I think they're confusing are they just a way, the way that I'm supposed to live? Because I'm not so sure that I can get real excited about being meek or being poor all the time. Is that how I'm supposed to live? Is that what Jesus is teaching? N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, says that in these Beatitudes, Jesus is doing more than teaching. He is doing more than just telling people how they should live their lives. He's not saying to them, try very hard to be poor in spirit. Try very hard to mourn all the time, to be meek, or to be 
hungry or to be merciful all the time. That's not what he's saying. These are not instructions. It's more than that. It's more than instruction on how to live. What he is instead saying is that when you find yourself in these descriptors, when you find yourself mourning, when you find yourself poor in spirit, you're okay. You can receive a blessing in those very states. It's also more than Jesus saying, this is the way the world operates. So Jesus is not gathering his followers and telling them, here, is the, here are the laws of nature. This is the way the world operates. We certainly know better because we know people who are grieving or who are mourning, who are not, in fact, comforted, but instead they sit in despair. We know people who are meek, who get stepped on. We know people who are persecuted, who are killed. I don't know if you noticed the words as you walked in to the worship space this morning, but they're along the back of the CLC here, and they each have a color associated with them. The color that is associated with persecuted is orange, and it's not because I'm a big Longhorn fan. That's not why. The colors that are associated with each word are actual liturgical colors, probably designated by the Roman Catholic Church, but orange is a new color for the word persecuted. And you know why it's orange? It's orange because that's the color that prisoners wear. And so the church has said that orange is the color of those who are persecuted. These are not laws of nature. And the Beatitudes are also not things that we are supposed to be striving for as followers of Christ. They are more than that. They are more than both those things. What Jesus is doing with his disciples is he's making an announcement. The Beatitudes are an announcement for his followers. First of all, they are an announcement of assurance. They are an announcement that if and when you find yourself mourning, you are okay. If and when you find yourself a peacemaker, you are okay. In Deuteronomy, God's people have come out of slavery in Egypt. They've come through the wilderness, and they've arrived in the promised land. Before they enter the land, but after they have received the law in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, you're going to find blessings. You find a list of blessings and a list of curses. It's a part of the covenant. God has brought people to this new land and made a covenant with them. So the blessings and the curses in Deuteronomy basically say this. The blessings say this. Follow the commands. Follow the law. When you follow the commands and the law, you'll be blessed. And you're going to be able to recognize your blessing is what Deuteronomy says because you're going to prosper. It's going to look like prosperity. And then the curses say this, if you don't follow the commands, you'll be cursed. And you're going to be able to recognize those who are not following the commands because they suffer. So Jesus takes these blessings and these curses and he turns them upside down. He does a reversal on the blessings and curses in Deuteronomy. Those who look like they are uninvited to the kingdom, those who look like they are cursed, are in fact invited. He wants his followers to hear. They are invited and they are okay. They are blessed. Those who are meek, the word meek 
James Brian Smith says that that's an, the Aramaic word for meek would describe an individual who just doesn't have it in themselves to retaliate. So the word meek would describe a kid who is being bullied that can't stick up for himself. Looks like he's cursed, right? But what Jesus would say is, no, that child, blessed. Those who are persecuted, those who are persecuted, they aren't greeted with power. They aren't greeted with applause. But instead, those who are persecuted are often greeted with conflict. They're greeted with anger. They're greeted with disgust. Looks like they're cursed, right? Jesus would say, no, not cursed. Those people, blessed, included, invited, okay. Matthew wants us to see that there's a new covenant rolling out in Jesus Christ. And this is the biggest news that the Beatitudes are announcing. Jesus has come out of Egypt. Remember, his parents took him there as a child to escape the angry king. And you will also remember that the Israelites leave Egypt to escape an angry king. Jesus has come through water in his baptism. He's wandered around in the desert where he was tempted. And here is Jesus standing before this new promised land with all those who follow him. Matthew will have Jesus talk about and describe this promised land as the kingdom of heaven. Over and over again, Jesus will teach about the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven for Jesus and for his followers is not restrained to only the place we go to when we die. The best way to define kingdom of heaven as Jesus uses it, as he teaches his followers in Matthew's gospel and all four gospels, is to say that the kingdom of heaven is God's space. And God's space exists in part here on earth, and it exists in full when we die. Jesus wants his followers to know that heaven and earth are interlocked. That what goes out in heaven, goes on in heaven, can be unrolled on earth. In the very next chapter, Jesus will teach his followers to pray. And when he's teaching them to pray, he will say, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These nine descriptions, these nine beatitudes They are all descriptions of what goes on inside of each of us. Only we can designate where we are in these Beatitudes. Only I can say for certain that I'm merciful, that my actions are come from a place of compassion instead of coming from a place where I need approval. Only I can check that out inside of me. Only I can say, for certain, what the state of my heart is. Am I pure in heart? And to be pure in heart means that there is no thought, no feeling, no person that goes unnoticed by my heart, that gets locked out from my heart. They are all noticed. They are all welcome. That is to be pure of heart. There's nothing too painful to consider in God's presence in the space of my heart. In these interior places that we see, I think the question that we ask ourselves is how much space is consumed by the kingdom of me and how much space is available for the kingdom of God? 
Because that's what Jesus wants his followers to see. That God will come and fill that empty space. When Keith and I were first married, we moved into an apartment and we had nothing. We were so young when we were first married. We had no belongings. And so I can remember going to my grandmother and asking her if I could have a kitchen table that she had in storage. And her response to me was no. (laughs) Instead of giving me the table, she gave me some advice. And this was her advice. She said, Dinah, don't go out and try to fill all the empty spaces in your apartment. Those spaces will fill themselves. And you will find over time that you have more than you need. You will have an abundance. Now, she was talking about material possessions, but I want you to know that the same is true in our spiritual lives. Don't go out and try to fill your empty spaces. Let God, let the kingdom of God move into those empty spaces, and you will have more than you need. You will have an abundance. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something kind of brave, and um, I'm asking you to multitask also. While we sing this last song, while we're worshiping during this last song, I would like for you to move to the word that resonates most with you. Now, it could be that this is something that describes who you are right now. But it could also be that this is a group of people that you are concerned about. This is a group of people where you want to see the kingdom come and for them to be blessed.